Gennaro Rewind, hosted by Matt Namofsky. Hello, NRL fans. Welcome back to the NRL Rewind podcast. I'm your host, Matt Namofsky, and welcome to our Origin 2 preview. i Chris with me again. Chris, how are you, mate? Very good, Matt. I'm pretty sure just like you, we were very happy with the, more than happy with the result of the first match. We were together uh, at Mounties just having a, having a few beverages while we were watching the game. And I think even you and me as the biggest New South Wales fans there is, didn't expect that absolute carve up by Latrell, by Turbo and Cleary. It was, uh, it was one for the ages. Definitely was. So happy to see it. Yeah, and quickly, obviously, I haven't really spoken to you since Origin 1, I guess. Just a quick little summary for how you saw the game. Obviously, it was a huge win to the Blues. But what, what did you see from it just as a, you know, sit, sitting back and watching it? What really surprised you about that game and what what made you really be proud of the Blues' performance? I think what I really enjoyed, I'm pretty sure when you saw it as well during that first set, Matt, was that Tommy Turbo he took that first hit up and then Tedesco took the second one. And then Tommy Turbo hit this, the third one again. And just based off those first three hit-ups, it just sort of set the tone about what we were in for. The way that Fittler was trying to target the forwards and basically use the back as forwards, I was feeling pretty much comfortable at that point that we were going to win, but I didn't expect it to be that much of a, you know, a drubbing. But I think it was the way that we attacked them with such confidence that it just really blew my mind the way that we changed from, I guess, last sort of state of origin to now. It's, it was really exciting in my opinion. It was one of those ones where we said on paper, you know, the one to five for New South Wales was the strongest we've ever put out there. And yeah, exactly like you said, Tedesco, Latrell, Turbo, and even the wingers Toto and Fox all had their, hand, their footprints all over this one. So it was very impressive. But we're on the game two now, mate. We're one up in the series. We're up to uh, Suncorp on Sunday night, 7.50 for game two. So we'll really run through the lineups to start off with here because we'll start with the Blues first, the away team. Only the one change for them. So they do have Jake Trevojevic, your boy, who's out for two to four weeks. So it forces a positional swift. Junior Polo from the bench into the starting pack and Angus Crime into the interchange bench. We also do have Dal Fanukin, who moves into the 20 jersey on the extendeds. For the Maroons, quite a few changes. Paul Green knows... This is a must win and he's gone for it. So Val Holmes moves from the wing, from fullback to the wing. Reese Walsh, the seven-game veteran from the Warriors, he is now the new fullback. Xavier Coates has been dropped out of the team altogether. Josh Papali'i returns into the front row. You've also got Joy Arrow who moves from 13 into the second row with Tino at lock. On the bench, Ben Hunt replaces AJ Brimson, who is injured, and Dave Feeder is also been relegated back to the bench. Francis Molo is the new uh, man on the bench, also making his debut. Two new reserves for them as well, Cohen Hess and Ronaldo Molotalo. So, Chris, some pretty interesting lineups here. Let's go for New South Wales here because, again, much of the same from the first game. Jake only played about 25 minutes in that first game, so he was quite limited, uh, didn't really play much. So do you see much of a difference having Junior Paulo starting and having Angus on the bench? So I think with Junior Paulo up front, I find that we would be able to attack with a bit more aggression using the forwards rather than relying on the backs. And there was something I was going to raise when we were talking about game one, Matt. I'm not sure if you took a look at how much uh, we used our back five line. Do you know how much we used, um, used them in the first game, Matt? From memory, it was actually like a ridiculous amount that I couldn't believe. But give me the, give me the numbers. All right. 
So these are the numbers from one to five. So Tedesco, Toto, Mitchell, Tommy Turbin, Adokar, how many runs they took. 23, 27, 13, 20, 14. All hit three digits. And we're talking 212 meters, 233 meters, 167 meters, 215 meters, and 101 meters. That's ridiculous. You look at the you look at the rest of the blues forwards, only two out of the nine hit more than a hundred. Actually, was it more than a hundred? Yes, it was only Payne Haas and Daniel Saifidi. Every other forward was less than 100. So I guess that really emphasized what that game plan was. We really relied on our backs doing all that sort of carting out the fr- um, out of our, um, you know, our danger zone. But I think now with Junior Paula up front, we might even switch it up because I feel like, you know, Green is going to suspect, you know, oh, they're going to be throwing to Tommy Turbo to take these hit-ups. Now's a really good chance for our forwards to shine, I guess. With Paula up front, the, the offloads are definitely going to be there. But I think we really need to, you know, off that first hit up, really take it to the Maroons. Yeah, 100%. Like you said, it was it was like having a second four pack out there. The way that our boys just really, and like you said, from the opening set, they really set the tone there. To me, it's going to be interesting because obviously you never want anyone to be out with an injury like Gerbo, but I'm really do, I am happy for Liam Martin that he was able to retain the spot there. He played really well, I thought. And that battle against Panthers versus the Roosters on the weekend, you can kind of see that he really did kind of line up Angus a couple of times and say, Freddie, you have to pick me. You can't drop me after a performance like this. So both of them will be on the bench. And it's, it's a fascinating bench now when you do look at it because obviously Jack Wyden there is a Mr. Fix-It if anything does happen. Crichton, Haas and Martin as the as the bench forwards there. It's a, it's a real interesting mix, you know. Payne Haas will obviously be going through the middle. Martin can go through the middle as well, and even Angus in his day. So it's it's a really versatile bench. It's a lot of mobility on that bench. And, you know, it's, if any of the Maroon forwards are tired through the middle, I think New South Wales won't lose anything. They might even gain something if they do go into the rotations. Mm, mm, agreed. Let's quickly jump into the, new, the Queensland side, Chris, because, again, some huge changes here. So I guess we'll leave uh, Reese Walsh for a bit later because we do want to talk about him a little bit in depth. But talk to me about... Uh, the impact of Josh Papali'i and Christian Welch, who only played about five minutes. That's a that's a brand new four pack essentially, and it's one of the better ones that Queensland can put out there. What, what do you expect from those two boys to really try and match it up against this New South Wales pack? Mm. Josh Papali'i, uh, I believe it was since he took that little that little rest period from Canberra, wasn't it, Matt? I think since then he's really you know sort of returned to form. So bring it to the Origin you know arena. I think that's going to be a seamless transition for him. So it's going to be really positive to see him you know in that sort of arena. Uh, I remember him scoring quite a few tries. I remember just like just borrowing his way over, just crashing over you know a short ball from Daly Cherry Evans. I think that was game three two years ago. That was a really good run by him. So he's definitely going to bring that experience and you know settlement to the to the forward pack with the Maroons. Yeah, Christian Welch, you can see. He, he's such an integral part to not just the Melbourne Storms, but definitely to, to the Maroons. I think when he went off, the sting in their defense just dropped exponentially. You know, he's honestly, like we discussed, one of the more well-rounded props for, you know, in the NRL. Him, I, I don't know how long he spent in the in the game last, um, last game for State of Origin, but yeah, it was definitely felt like his um, presence was definitely missing. Yeah, 100%. And last one before we get into a couple of other topics here, the nines. Obviously, before game one, there was talk about Reed Marnie, uh, Harry Grant, which of them will start, who will come off the bench. For this game, obviously, both are injured. So we've gone with Andrew McCulloch, the veteran, 
getting his run at number nine and Ben Hunt, who's on the bench. How do you see that rotation going? Do you think Ben Hunt should be starting or do you think McCulloch offers something similar to what Jake Friend did last year to have someone come off the bench a bit more explosive after the the first impact of the game is out? Mm. Look, Andrew McCulloch, we, I think we we can all agree that Andrew McCulloch plays a very different style at hooker compared to you know, the Harry Grant, the Reed Marnie, and even Ben Hunt, even though he's a half. I think Green did do a really good decision putting Andrew McCulloch there only because I feel with Ben Hunt, the name just rings that drop ball in the grand final. Ever since then, I feel like he's been made the scapegoat for a lot of downforce for the Maroons or for, you know, back then the Broncos or now the Dragons. It just seems to really stick with him. So I, I like the Andrew McCulloch to sort of settle, you know, the first sort of like 15, 20 minutes of a sting of a state of origin, you know, match and allowing Ben Hunt to come on and just do what he does best, which is eyes up footy. I think that's where he's really shined him being on the interchange, you know, he'll get the word from the coach like, Oh, you know, New South Wales playing this way, this way, you know, maybe give a kick on the third or the fourth. He's going to offer a different dimension to, to the, to the sort of hooker rotation. So I'm really glad that Ben Hunt is on the interchange. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, so that's the teams, Chris. I want to go back uh, and talk about a couple of topics that we were really looking forward to in game one. Obviously, did pick out a couple of things. We had four topics there that we really wanted to keep an eye on to see how the game went. And it's really good because I think there's four meaty topics that we can talk about now, and there's, there is some changes now from game one to game two. So why don't you start us off here, Chris? What was the first topic we wanted to talk about from game one, and how did we see it going um, when the game happened? Yeah, no worries. So the first topic we talked about in our uh, origin preview was Valentine Holmes at fullback. So mm-hmm. I was the one who predicted that one. I think you thought AJ Brimson was going to be the fullback. Is that correct? Yeah, I thought I thought AJ just, you know, we've seen Val at, at the back a couple of times for Queensland before. Uh, but obviously, like you said, Val did get the nod there. And how do you think he went in game one? Look, I feel like... With the amount of possession that they had, he could have done a lot more. But at the end of the day, the forward just got steamrolled by the Blues' backs. It's hard to say that a four-pack was steamrolled by the back line of another team, which doesn't really happen often. But if you look at this back line for, for the Blues, you put it you know, in the best way. It's literally a second forward pack with the way or how hard these guys are running. So Valentine Holmes, he just didn't have the platform. So I can't really fault him too much but at the same time i did take a look at the stats of the possession was actually really close like do, did you see the possession stats for for the first game yeah a lot a lot of the stats was nearly 50 50 it was only until you get to like line breaks uh tries obviously but yeah the possession kick meters meters they were all there was nothing that showed a 50 to 6 score line Mm. So it basically comes down to, you know, I guess maybe where they had the position as well, which doesn't really reflect it on the stats. But, you know, obviously with me and you watching it, it felt like it was always played somewhere, I guess, when the Blues were stuck in their zone, we made those, you know, those huge sort of breaks to get through. We did more with the board. You remember, like, for example, we were stuck in our, I think it was almost a 15, you know, meter zone and the trail just took that sort of, you know, roll of the dice and went down that sideline. Do you remember? Just mm-hmm. one-on-one with Gagai. Yep. And that took us to almost a 40-meter line. So it was those sort of little moments of brilliance from the players that I think Valentine Holmes needed to show a bit more of when they were stuck in their half. So I think that's something that he was definitely lacking. But at the same time, the forwards needed to do a lot more. 
I looked at the stats for the forwards and they were just dominated, absolutely dominated. Yeah, like you said, it's hard when you're on the back foot consistently, especially as a fullback. Look, he had 21 runs for 146 metres. Would I have loved that to be closer to 30? I think so. Like, Val is that type of guy when the ball's in his hands. You know, we've seen for the Cowboys this year a couple of times when, you know, he's put a little kick to self. He does try and change it up a little bit. So, by no means he had a poor game. He was definitely not one of the worst for Queensland on the field. Um, but I do enjoy that they have got Reese Walsh in there now because Val can now go back to the wing and now roam in a little bit when he wants. So, that might give him a little bit more freedom. Uh, to doing something on the field. So I'm still expecting a good Val home games uh, for game two. But what's the next topic, Chris? What what was next on the agenda? Uh, Last time we spoke about the hooker battle between Harry Grant and Damien Cook. Mm. So the way I saw it, I, I just still keep coming back to the way our back five just dominated. I think it sort of outshone this sort of battle between the two. But I did have to say we are great predictors and we did say what first set harry grant is going to take that run and as soon as we saw it me and you we jumped up i'm like "Ah, ah, we saw it yeah i remember that that was pretty good yeah you can tell you can definitely tell if like i said and like you've said if the possession obviously that was there but the the fuel position like you said where you got the ball you can tell harry grant didn't really have a lot but to me the most telling stat harry grant took 12 runs in that game for about 50 odd meters so we did what he was going to do he did his darts Damien Cook took two runs. He had a line break and a line break assist in those two runs. So he really used his runs effectively. And it was, he waited for the forwards. He was giving good early ball to Cleary and Luai when he needed to. He went through and took the line on and burned the Maroons a couple of times. So for all the all the crap that Damien Cook has caught, especially, you know, fantasy and super coach does skew a lot of things for a lot of uh, viewers. You know, I've got Damien Cook in mm. classic and you wait for those big hundred point games from Cook, but... You know, a lot of people were saying, is he even the best hooker in New South Wales? Has Coruscant overtaken him? You've seen, like, when he gets in, when he gets on the field like that and he can dictate what he wants to do, he is still the best premier hooker in the comp. I think that's not even close. So, to me, it was a really good battle. Uh, Grant gave it a shot, but obviously couldn't play the full 80. But Damien Cook just shows you mm. he, was, he was legitimately one of the best players on the field. We're not not doing that to, that much, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think... Harry Grant, he missed, what, seven tackles, which, to be honest, shouldn't be acceptable at the level of origin. But I think it just came down, again, his fatigue. Like, I remember it was clear he took from dummy half, he threw the dummy to Tommy Turbo, and he ran straight through. And that was the try, I believe, when Tedesco did that brilliant flick pass. So Harry Grant should have been able to take on clear if he had that sort of stamina. But I think, you know, taking that many runs, tackling that hard at an origin level, it's just going to tire you out. So I think he needs to sort of, you know, pick his runs a bit better and just be a bit more effective, you know, quality over quantity. 100%. All right, Chris, topic number three, what was it? Topic number three was the use of the bench forwards. Now, this one was very interesting. I'm glad that you were the one who brought this up in the last podcast. What what we saw with the Blues, I think um, Fitler actually used the bench a lot more than their starting forwards. Wouldn't you agree? What was it? Jerbo only getting, what, 20-something minutes? Yeah, 29 minutes for Jerbo. 29 minutes for Jerbo. Um, obviously, he had to play the forwards a bit early. I believe Cameron Murray got injured, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think he, he came was, back yeah. and played 56. So I'll give you the quick numbers so we can just kind of, like you said, balance it. So Saifidi and Jerbo were the two starting props, 50 and 29 minutes. The back row, so Murray and Sims was 56 and 62 minutes. Isaiah Yo got the full 80. And on the bench, you had Paulo, who got 32 Lee Martin got 30, and Payne Haas 
pushed out the most minutes of any forwards with 57. Mm, yeah, I think I saw quite a bit of Payne Haas. And what did you think about him coming off the bench? I thought he did brilliant coming off that bench. Yeah, I definitely thought he's a player who I would have started the game because he does have that motor and once he gets it ticking. But I did like he came off the bench and pretty much played the remainder of the game to get 57 minutes in. He really set a platform. And like you said, one of only two forwards to get over 100 metres. He was just consistently in and around the ball, you know. He was good tackling. He made sure he always came in and got the dirty runs. 13 runs for 132 metres, 60 post-contact metres. So nearly half of his metres were post-contact. And as a four, that's outstanding. That's getting your team on the front foot and getting quick play of the ball. So that's exactly what you want. Mm, agreed. From the Queensland side, looking at it, you know, it's interesting that they have changed up a little bit now with obviously uh, Fafita going back to the bench for, for game two. But looking quickly at the the way that the Maroons use their forwards, because to me, this was another one that was pretty head-scratching to me. So obviously Welch only played the 12 minutes due to his HIA. So that was obviously uh, through their their rotation out a little bit. But yeah, Jai Arrow, who got 41, which to me is not enough for Jai Arrow. You had Sua, who's been playing reserve grade for the Rabbits, got 35. Mo Fortawaker got 55. Joe O got 41, who's been playing 80 minutes for, for the Tigers. It's just, to me, it's a lot of, you know, Kafusi played the full 80 and, you know, we're all, we're all Kafusi fans. You know, he's done a lot for the game, but at this stage of his career, I don't know if he's an 80-minute player in origin, you know. I don't know whether he could have, you know, come on and had, had a breather, come back into the game. It's just, to me, Paul Green has a lot of questions, and I think the rotation that he's going to do in game two is going to be very interesting to me because how much do you play Dave Feeder In game one, he played, uh, what have got, 65 minutes. So we're going to get 65 minutes of Dave Feeder off the bench, or is it going to be like a short impact 45? It's very interesting to see what's going to happen there. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I believe for Fida, he did go for the HIA, which did make sense. But look, like you said, 80 minutes for Lise Kafusi and you're getting pumped. You, you should have done something a bit different in that sort of aspect. I, I honestly don't know why Jaden Sua was there. Like, I understand that's a safe option, like we talked about last podcast. But I think, yeah, I think he, he just didn't know what was the best way to use this bench. This came down, honestly, to a coaching um, fault, in my opinion. Um, Fafida for next game, I really don't know because when he's playing at club level, he he knows to run at the little halves and try to get through to them. But I don't know. He, he just looked so different at the origin level. He, he didn't bring that explosive sort of, I guess, you know, aggression that we were so used to seeing early on during the season. And I think that since, since that game with Maroons, haven't you felt that his club form has gone downhill a little bit as well? 100%. To me, you know, we were sitting there at the at the pub watching the game and we are kind of waiting for that big day for feeder, you know, five-minute burst where he breaks a couple of tackles, gets an offload, puts his head through the line, but it's never happened. And, you know, credit to New South Wales for wrapping him up. But, you know, on that point, you know, of, uh, you know, he went off with the HIA and you had Kafusi play the full 80, you know. You had Capel who was getting burned in the centres. I don't know why he didn't bring Capel one more into the second row bring AJ on, push Val to the wing, someone into the center, and then have the fullback. You know, there was a lot of options he could have done, but he kind of just stuck with the, I guess, what he what he went in there on Thursday, on Wednesday. Mm. In the morning, he had the game plan. He never changed it up. So he's changed the team for game three, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But, yeah, def- definitely a head-scratching. You, the Blues nailed their rotations, and the Queensland left a bit to be desired. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. All right. Last one, Chris. What was the last topic we had? 
So the last one was, as you put it, the Panthers Blues. It's just stacking and stacking this entire New South Wales Blues side with just Penrith Panther players. It, do we need to say more that this was just basically a training run for them? Like It didn't matter if they were wearing blue or pink or black. They just ran the same thing that they do, and it just worked a treat. So Cleary, Luai, look, Luai, like we talked about, he settled right in. There's no question about it. I think if Cleary's going to be there and Luai's next to them, it's been a very long time since we can say, yep, I'm happy with the halves, all right? Since Maloney, I was a bit scared about who was going to take over. You know, Walker was a bit, you know, here and there. We chucked one here and there as well. Luai and Cleary, I can sit back, have my cup of tea and just be ready for, you know, just some smooth, calm sailing. Yeah, 100%. You know, I guess the two real big question marks for the New South Wales Panthers was Brian To'o getting the, the nod over an experienced Daniel Tupo. He showed you exactly why he had the, the double, two line breaks, 233 metres, ridiculous stuff. And then Jerome Luai, who was obviously, it was whether it was me Walker, why nor Luai for the number six jersey. He came out and showed, you know, it wasn't the best Jerome Luai game, but he showed in spurts, you know, he only had the five runs, which is very unlike Jerome Luai. He likes to get the ball in his hands, but he knew he had beasts outside of him, get nice early ball and make it happen. So he did exactly what he needed to do, played off Nathan Cleary perfectly. And they definitely, like you said, looks like our combination for the, you know, next five to seven years. We're pretty safe with the six and the seven. So I'm very happy with it. Great. All right, Chris, let's go one topic each here for game two that we're looking into. So I'll let you go first. Uh, what's one topic you're looking into here that will look back at game three and it might be a pretty deciding thing in the game? So uh, the biggest elephant in the room, every commentator is talking about it, is what, how old is he? 18-year-old Reese Walsh thrown into one of the most, I guess, high-pressure sort of position in fullback at state yeah. of origin level after seven games of regular NRL. It's... I can't remember. Someone uh, was at Fox Sports to put up an article. There was only one other younger person than him for this to happen. That was ages ago. And to see this happen in the modern game where it's faster, it's it's just more tiring, it's more taxing on the body, more injuries can, are occurring you know, each week. We're throwing this guy into the back of the Maroons. Hmm. Would this scream desperation to you, Matt? I said it on the podcast last night with Johnny on the Round 15 uh, review. It smells, it smells desperate. You know, he's a great, he's a great young player and he's going to be a great young player. Is it too early? He's played seven games at first grade, Chris. He wasn't even on a, he wasn't even on the top NRL roster at the start of the season. You know, Nathan, I think Nathan Brown put it best, you know, when they when they asked him, is he ready for origin? And he kind of said, We need to protect this guy. And I kind of, when he said that, to me, I kind of thought of all the New South Wales guys that we've tried to blood so early, you know, the Jared Mullins of the world and, you know, just trying to get them in there. You know, Jamal Idris coming in, you know, a young guy who hasn't really proven much, but get him into the team. Look, I hope for his sake that he plays a good game. You know, he doesn't look like the kid that if he has a bad game, he's going to get rattled and it's going to end his career. But, man, game two, a packed house at Suncorp, very vocal fans that will let you know if things are going bad. You know, the team showed nothing in game one that would make you think they're going to turn around in game two. So they're going to basically ask this 18-year-old who's played seven games of first grade and half of those were off the bench, hey, get us out of this whole win us an origin game and take us to a decider. It's a lot to ask, man. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, I mean, you know, Maroons, Maroons play or not, 
me and you, Matt, we just love watching him just play. Like he's such like a breath of fresh air. Do you remember? Was it? I can't remember who it was, but when he caught the ball in that fullback position and he literally just Superman dived for that corner. Yeah, man, that 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 speed. Which just, I really hope that this debut won't be the end of, I guess, Reese Walsh's confidence. I just really hope because he's such an asset to the NRL right now. And I just really hope that this does not ruin him. Look, I think he's one of those kids, like he's obviously been great at every, every grade and every level he's played footy at. And, you know, he's coming to the NRL, all guns blazing, you know, setting the water light for the, for the Warriors and giving them, you know, that's a team that lost Roger Tuovasa check at the start of the year. And really that's their best player that the Warriors probably have ever had in their, in their roster, Mm. you know, and Reese Walsh is coming to give him a bit of fresh air, and you know, there's optimism next year. Like you and me were talking, you know, from a super coach perspective, is Reese Walsh a top round pick next year? Absolutely, he will be. He's definitely going in the top twelve of a, of a draft league. You know, that's just the excitement from a fan perspective, from a Warriors fan perspective, and rugby league fans. But um, look, he looks like the kid that you know he's had that success all through his grades. I don't think he's going to get rattled, and you know, if he drops the ball four times and they get pumped by forty points, I don't think he's going to go into his shell. Um. But yeah, I just, it's a lot to ask for. I'm excited for him because what a chance. What a, I, When he was at Brisbane Juniors training at the start of the year, hmm. there was no way he thought he was going to be, you know, playing for the Warriors halfway through the year and then going to Suncorp packed house to, you know, in a do or die game. To, and he was in the starting one jersey, you know. We talked, one. we talked in Origin 1, you know, potentially him off the bench. Now we're saying go save us in, oh, it's crazy. It's, it's, yeah. It's written up like a movie. If he comes out there and blazes it, scores two tries, sets up two, and they win and it goes to game three, then all of a sudden, mm. then all of a sudden... Oh, a documentary. It's a, it's a documentary. It's a movie. If he, if he fails, look, the, you know, Nathan Cleary, who we were just singing the praises of, has had some stinkers at origin level. I think even you and me as New South Wales fans can say Cleary has not played, you know, at the start of his career. You know, he got carried a couple of games, like, you know. So it's going to be interesting. It's definitely one that when you think about all the storylines that could have helped get you invested in the origin too, by far this is the best one. You know, to me, yeah. I still think New South Wales get the job done easily, but the fact that this kid who has been setting the world alight when he shouldn't be doing it, and now he's got a chance to do it at the rep level, come on, you've got to, you've got to, you have to watch that. Yeah. Like he's measuring up against the great ones in that Maroons jersey. So oh. you got what Billy Slater, you got Greg Inglis, Darren you know, he's Darren Lockyer. You're you're measuring up to these folks, you know. And when you mentioned Cleary before being carried, it, the difference here is I think he's going to be the carry. He's not going to be carried. He's mm. going to be the carry. So this is going to be huge. If there's one thing that I wouldn't mind seeing if Maroons win, is this guy just tearing us apart. Like I wouldn't even be mad no. if. This, this guy is, you know, open flight, you know, throwing that dummy, flying over, you know, two, 200 meters, I don't care, just just do something, I wouldn't be mad. Like, I walk away and you be like, you know what? Good game, game three. And I think that's, weirdly enough, wouldn't you want a game three to be exciting? Look. Weird enough. It's such a good point because we wouldn't be able to sit on the ground. Like, we wouldn't be able to sit on our seats if that happened. If Reese Walsh was tearing us up, we'd be up cheering, you know, even as New South Wales fans. Yeah, and the, the the thought of a game three going down to a decider in New South Wales, Reese Walsh, you know, Ponga should be fit by then. Where does Ponga play? You know, oh, that yeah. now comes into contention. There's just there's so many storylines, but yeah, look, 
I guess just to wrap a bow on this little bit, you know, he's young, he's unproven. Oh God, if he does it, what a story. If he doesn't do it, you know, he's going to go back to the Warriors. He'll be better for the experience. You know, I don't think it's that thing of it's it'll wreck him. I think he'll be better for the experience. He'll get a taste of it because he's going to play origin at some stage. You know what I mean? Like he's definitely going to be in that origin arena. So he'll get a nice taste of it early and we'll see what happens. But yeah, very, very interesting. Sounds good. All right, my one, Chris. So, short and sweet, I think New South Wales dominated through our centres. You know, obviously, Turbo and Latrell pumped the Queensland Maroons. Paul Green stuck with Kurt Capewell and Dan Gagai in the centres. That's what I'm looking out for. Are these experienced veteran Maroons who have done the job for the Queensland Maroons in the past, are they going to step up here and try to combat probably the best player in the game, Tom Travojevic, and one of the most underrated in Latrell Mitchell? How do you see that battle going? I'm trying to impress my Manly fan sort of, you know, bias here. I, I still don't see it going any other way with our senses monstering them. Like, Dan Gagai, I don't think I've seen him have two bad games in a row in the Maroons jersey. Maybe he might have an off one like this one. But sooner or later, Maroons Gagai is going to turn up. Okay, so it's going to be a really spicy battle between him and Latrell. You know, Latrell is going to be up in his face, you know, giving it to him, speaking trash about him. Gagai's going to retaliate. You know, we can see it coming, you know, shirt grabbing. Um, but, you know, Kurt Capewell against Tommy Turbo. Look, you can put Tommy Turbo against anyone at the NRL. He's just going to stomp them. You put a forward in front of me, he'll run over him. I, didn't he run over a forward before as well? Like, he ran over, um, oh, who was it? It was a re- really recent game. He re- no, no, it was in it was in the last Origin game actually. He ran over um, one of the Maroons forwards and they just fell on their back. I can't mm. remember who it was, um, but yeah, like you put a forward in front of a fullback, it should, that that shouldn't be happening in the game of NRL. It's never been heard of where a fullback can put a forward on his you know on his backside. Yeah. So it was up to me. The, the uh, I just gonna see the Blues stomping them again. I, I don't know what else to say. Look, I don't know what Paul Green could have done. You know, it's the one position that the Maroons really don't have is centre. Like, the other option was bringing in Will Chambers. And I don't know if Will Chambers is doing anything differently, you know what I mean? So, like I said, Gay Guy's been there. He doesn't have many bad games for the Maroons. Kirk Capel, we saw what he did last year. Um, obviously, two very different centres in, Widen and Gutho versus uh, Trill and Turbo. But it's definitely going to be where the battle's won. You know, New South Wales saw the weakness and they really, really attacked it. You know, they kept ripping off that scab, trying to go toward every single set. And, you know, if Queensland's going to win here, they've got to keep those two quiet and, you know, let Teddy beat them. Let the forwards try and beat them because the way that Latrell and Turbo are just getting on the outside, really dictating terms, it can't happen again because they'll get blown out again. So it's definitely one that I'm watching. Yeah, like, because I raised Will Chambers last time, so I didn't expect the commentators to be starting talking about it. But, you know, would you have yourself push Will Chambers to the center, maybe Kirk Capewell to the second front rows, and then maybe having David Fafita off the bench and then bring him on as appropriate? Because that was the other thing we didn't talk about with the Maroons, was Jai Aaron the second front row. We've mm-hmm. always seen him in the middle rotation, but now he's being thrusted into the second front row, which... I don't believe has he played that before or really early in his career? I don't remember. He played a, he played a little bit early in the Titans, and then last week for the Rabbits was his first time in nearly two years that he was in the in the two RF. So he's traditionally played through the middle, but at a pinch can play on the edge. 
Mm, so I think it's sort of like that Cameron Murray situation again. But you look at Cameron Murray and Jai Arrow, you know, completely different builds, mm. completely different abilities. Like, I don't know what else to say with that. So I think moving forward with uh, with with the game, Yeah, so with Jai Ara and Kamari, they're, they're two different sort of body types. We have Kamari who's, a, you know, a little smaller but more agile, so I can understand why Fittler used him, you know, on the edge. Jai Ara, you know, not as, you know, light on his feet, but does have that sort of strength and that sort of fan and even that offload, particularly in that sort of second front row, to really trouble the, uh, the Blues forwards. So I guess... I honestly would have preferred to have Kurt Capewell there. He is a special, you know, a specialist second front row, and I liked having Jai Arrows, you know, more silky hands in that lock position. Um, but that—that's what I would have done as a, um, as a uh, Maroons coach. W- would you have done the same, Matt, having Will Chambers there and following with those sort of changes? I thought about it. You know, Will Chambers, like I said to you, you know, in a couple of messages, you know, he won't do a bad job for you. You know, when if Will Chambers is picked, you know, he's going to have his heart in the jersey. Just since he's returned, he has been prone to the old leak. Like against the Cowboys last week, Kyle Felt did get him a couple of times, you know, caught him out pretty pretty handily. So, look, we saw what Kirk Campbell has done in this arena. We've seen what they yeah, guys. I think that's the two best options for right now. During the okay. game, you know, they can... Look, having Ben Hunt there it does make it a little bit hard now to, you know, change up the back line any sort of way now because, you know, he's a specialist half hooker. So... They're going to ride with his team right now. Um, but, yeah, no, nah, I could definitely see your point. Jai Arrow, to me, is more of a middle. Um, and then Kirk Cable coming to that edge and play like he does for the Panthers. But Paul Green's got it up his sleeve, so we'll see what he's got. Yeah, he's a coach in the day, so. That's it. All right, Chris, let's get to our predictions, mate. So we picked a pretty handy victory for New South Wales in game one. Obviously, didn't expect that much, but we will take that uh, take that prediction. What do we have for game two, mate? What, how do you see this one going? Look, in my mind, it's either going to be really close or it's going to be another blowout. Um, let we'll, we'll go based on what we've seen so far and the way that Fittler's been, you know, going with his game plan. Is it? Would we see another giant, you know, scoreline? The only thing that's really stopping me from saying that is it's at Suncorp. We know the history at Suncorp. I don't know what it is. We could throw out even the Australian team out there, but it's just something about Suncorp that is just such a hoodoo for us where we could honestly just lose. Like, if I had to make a prediction, let's go with my heart and say, like, I'm going to say 30 to 28. I don't know, something like that. It's going to be a high-scoring match. There's going to be a lot more tries scored, particularly on the Maroon side, than just you know the sole try that we saw last game. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I've got a 32 New South Wales, 16 Queensland. So a pretty handy victory for New South Wales. Uh, I do think Queensland will get over a couple of times, but there's just too much class. Too much class. Mm. You know, Again, I think New South Wales and Freddie found a couple of big weaknesses in this Queensland pack that I don't think can get fixed in one series. Uh, I expect another huge game from some of the boys that um, tore up in game one and will obviously go through a man of the match prediction here. But yeah, this is going to be, even at Suncorp, I think this is a different New South Wales team. I really think, you know, Buzz came out and said something ridiculous like game one, New South Wales could beat the 
invincible eight in a row Queensland. I'm not going to go that far yet, but I can definitely see this can be our little run here. You know, the, the team that we've mm. got, it's all at a certain age. It's players that all played together. It's just all lining up. And if this is if this team is going to be that good, you go into Suncorp and you don't do it by the skin of your teeth, you do it convincingly. Just like Queensland did it to us all those years, you know, Slater, Thurston, Inglis, uh, Smith, all walked into our stadium and did numbers on us. If we're the same, we go up there, we get it done pretty convincingly. Mm. Man of the match, Chris, who do you have? Obviously, you've got a New South Wales victory, so it's got to be one of our blues. Who's going to get the man of the match in this game? Oh, so last time I think we both said Cleary, but then I said Cook. Uh, oh, gosh. It's between two people in my head. It's either going to be Tedesco or it's going to be Jerome Luai, in my opinion. Oh, you've got the exact... I was. I thought we'd go different here, but I had the exact nah. same too. It's one of those two, man. So I'm getting... All right. I'll, I'll, I'll put my multi on Jerome Luai. I'm guessing you you can put it on Tedesco then. You know what? Let's swap it around. I'll go Tedesco since I'm a, I'm a safe guy. You, you you love the little, you know, spicy pods. So I'll let you take Jerome Luai and your multi. Yeah. I, to me, this is, you know, it's not going to surprise me if a turbo or a Cleary gets it. But, you know, Luai kind of warmed himself in at Origin 1. It's not going to surprise me if we see, you know, my prediction getting one out here now, if Lua's going to win it, he's going to have a stat line, something like 12 runs. He'll double his runs, a couple of try assists, and he'll probably get over one himself. He's just going to kind of, he really eased himself into it and gave those early balls uh, to his centers. To me, a couple of those ones now, the spot of the weakness, a couple of those little dummies off the left foot straight through, I could definitely see it for Luai. So I'll go Luai. Um, but yeah, I think this is his coming out party. Yeah, so it's going to be, I'm going to say, two try assists, uh, two line break assists to go. That's going to be clean line breaks, I reckon. He's going to have a line break and a try. That's that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to see on his um, stats. All right, and last one for the punters. Obviously, gamble responsibly, as always. Uh, do you have a first try scorer, or do you have just a random, a random one that you would put money on? Obviously, you could go first try after eight minutes. You could go first try converted, whatever you want there. Alrighty, so you know, with my psychic, you know, foreseeing future, I did say Tommy Turbo was the first try to score last time. Let's see if I can do two in a row. This time, I'm feeling I'm going to give it to Tedesco to be first try scorer. Okay. It, it, it's long overdue. This guy has to get over at some point. I was cheering my heart out for him to score that try and just win me my multi. <laughs> it just didn't happen. And now watch it this time. He'll be the first try scorer. Uh, if we're going for a sneaky um, try, I reckon... I reckon that... Just looking through the list here. We already talked about Jerome Lua. He's going to have some pretty good odds with him. But I, I reckon... For some reason, Isaiah Yale is going to get over. Ooh. He, looking at him, he's going to get us somewhere. I don't know what it is. He's his his name is just speaking something to me right now. If you want to just throw that little bonus bet on and just watch your your odds skyrocket from let's say fifty dollar odds to like you know five hundred, put on Isaiah Yale to to score a try at some point. If we're looking at the Maroons, come on, man. We we look at each other. We we let's just hope for Reese Walsh to at least go over for the punters. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely chuck in a Reese Walsh anytime try scorer just for the just for the joys of it. I'm gonna go slightly different to you. I'm actually gonna give Queensland the first try. I think if they're gonna be any chance at all, they're gonna to have to try and get off to an early start. So I've got Dane Gay Guy uh, for first try scorer. And then to pump up the odds a little bit, I'd go a Care Murray anytime try scorer. He he was in such good form for the Rabbits against the Broncos last week. Uh, set up a try just all over the park. So I think maybe a little crash play or just like sweeping on an edge, hitting hitting uh, Cherry Evans and crashing over that. Could that I could definitely see that. So I would go a Reese Walsh anytime into a Dengue guy first try, you know, a Care Murray. I'm sure it's going to give you lots of lots of high value. So only put a dollar or so on it. Don't don't waste too much money, but I could definitely see that one coming off. All right. And for all you punters there, I'm telling you now, do not bet on Carl Felt <laughs> and do not bet on Josh Adokar. Do not do it, guys. Do not do it. <laughs> don't do it. All right, Chris, that will leave it there, mate. Great preview as always. So I'm sure we'll watch this game together again. We're going to hope for another huge victory. If we do win this one, just putting it out here right now, so we'll do an Origin 3, but if we win Origin 2, is it a whitewash? It's a whitewash. There's, yeah. no, there's no doubt about it. We, we both predicted it. Actually, no, I predicted it, and then I think you agree with me eventually. Yeah, it's going to be a whitewash. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it now, man. It's too much class. Too much class. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on, mate. No worries. Enjoy my time here as always. Thank you. And to everyone, obviously enjoy Origin 2. No NRL this week. So we've got the, we'll have a couple of super coach ones this week, uh, just going through some of the buy rounds, some classic talk. Um, talk a little bit about the rep stuff, do a bit of a uh, review there, but then straight back into the NRL for round 16 next week. So thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day and hear from you soon. Cheers.